with the second pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the New York Giants select. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. A big sports week for MMO. We had uh, The Last Dance, uh, the Michael Jordan documentary The Last Dance premiered, and we also have the NFL Draft upcoming, and we figured in the vein of that, in the spirit of that, and before I get, you know, to the point where I can't stop yelling curse words <laughs> and derogatory things towards my favorite NFL team, favorite in quotes, we'd cover Draft Day the movie, along with a special guest, Lindsay Jones of The Athletic. We will give her a proper introduction in a few minutes. I am co-host Mike One, co-host also Mike in one moment. But like we've been saying lately, the reason we're doing Draft Day is not only because of the sports week, but we're trying to just have fun and hopefully have fun for you guys to listen to during and getting through this quarantine. And we're asking fun guest hosts to join us and we're picking fun movies to review. So why are we doing this movie other than it's timing, Michael? Well, I mean, the NFL Draft starts this Thursday, April 23rd. Like you said, it runs through yeah. Saturday. You and I are draft nicks, Mike. Uh, yes. We're big fans of the league. We always have been. We are uh, of a strange breed because we are jocks. We are theater kids. We are nerds. <laughs> we are all of those things. And few movies get reactions out of us like this one yeah. does. Uh, I think we hate this movie and we love to hate it. I think in a sick way, we also hate to love it. And draft day, <laughs> you know, the the movie and the the actual day in the calendar year. I think you know that that rings true for both of those things. Michael, our favorite team is the New York Football Giants. It's and a curse. We live and die with every game. Uh, we live and die with every draft. Although, I mean, we've been spoiled with a couple of championships. You may have been too young to remember 90, but I remember distinctly three championships, the greatest days of my life. But, nice. But lately, we're more like the Cleveland Browns. And Ugh. we've been playing for many more toilet bowls than Super Bowls. And, <laughs> and this has been painful. And the Giants have a unique way of making things the most disappointing. Yeah. I mean, my entire life, really, other than those big wins, I mean, this team has been uh, the choke artists of the league. It's just gut punch after gut punch after gut punch, and yet we, we stand by, and we support, and we watch... And we hate ourselves and everyone around us. But yes, unfortunately, uh, there is a lot we can relate to in this movie. And we're going to depend on our guest, Lindsay Jones, to mm -hmm. keep us away from the ledge later on during this movie <laughs> review. But first, Michael, we should introduce this movie with a quick production profile. Yes, Draft Day, a.k.a. GM on the verge of a nervous breakdown. <laughs> yes, he's, 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 he gets there, I think. He fully embraces the breakdown at certain points. It's like the John McClane in Die Hard with a Vengeance. One step, one step. <laughs> uh, no, Draft Day was directed by Dave Gettleman. Oh, no, no, just kidding. Uh, Ivan Reitman of Kindergarten Cop Twins. It would have just been a 90-minute documentary on <laughs> offensive linemen. Oh, hey, by the way, we should right. get this out of the way at the top. We should have, like, this this warning. Uh, you said we are draft nicks, and yes, we're a uh -huh. unique breed, but this is going to be sports talk, and that's why we're having Lindsay on, especially. We wanted somebody in the sports realm. It's going to be a lot of sports and pro football talk, and this is going to be kind of cathartic. Mike and I have kind of been looking for an excuse to dive in and, and make a whole episode about sports, so just be warned. A lot of the, like, inside baseball talk for, for sports, or football terms specifically, are going to be probably included in this Uh 
it's not going to be your usual MMO breakdown is what I'm getting at. Well, I mean, we do have the lifeline of this being a movie, a very <laughs> awesomely bad movie that, yes. you know, it's been in our wheelhouse in the past. Some of our best episodes have been reviewing awesomely bad films. So, Correct. Uh, you know, it, it does have the potential of... <laughs> Staying away from what Daniel Jones will be in the future. So hopefully Lindsay's going to keep us there and we'll ask her some, you know, some insider questions, no doubt, because she can In answer. 20 minutes, I'm going to be sobbing openly. <laughs> Probably. Anyway, we had a good director here, Michael. Ivan Reitman, kindergarten yeah. cop, twins, both Ghostbusters, Stripes. I mean, he's the helmer of this one. It, this movie was written by Scott Rothman, Raheev Joseph, and Gerald R.R. R. Reese. Uh, uh, who we'll have more on later? Did you did you get that? Did you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thought that was my best joke of the episode. We're no, you've already had two that were better than that one. Uh, How trouble. dare you, sir? <laughs> uh, of course, draft day. As you know by now, stars Kevin Costner. He's Sonny Weaver Jr. And Costner just came up a whole lot during our baseball movie award show special last week. As sports movies are certainly a pillar in Costner's career. He's got Bull Durham, Field of Dreams, and For the Love of the Game on his resume. Yes, draft day also stars Jennifer Garner as Alan. Oh. Black Panthers Chadwick Boseman as Vontae Mack, Terry Crews of the 9-9, Requiem for a Dreams, Ellen Bernstein, Frost Nixon's Richard Nixon himself, and Frank Langella, Coors <laughs> Spokesman, and from A Star is Born, Sam Elliott, and of course, Rescue Me's, of, of course he's in this, Rescue Me's Dennis Leary. And if Sam Elliott didn't get Oscar nominated for this performance, I don't know what they were thinking about nominating him for A Star is Born. Uh, you also get a ton of cameos from NFL personnel within this, former Hall of Famer Jim Brown to former Fantasy Football Hall of Shamer, depending on what year you ended uh, up with him, Arian Foster. <laughs> uh, legendary voices and TV personalities. We have Chris Berman, who if you've ever turned on ESPN between you know the year 2020 or all the way back, back, back to the year 1980, <laughs> Shmi. Uh, you would have heard his voice and know who he is, and there's current faces of the NFL Network as well on this. That is Mr. Rich Eisen. Sean P. Diddy Combs and Commissioner of the NFL himself, Roger Goodell, is in this. And, Mike, I dare say the most unbelievable part of draft day was <laughs> watching Diddy work on behalf of somebody else who's not himself. I thought he was a convincing agent. I mean, he's had agents in his career, so I mean, he's chasing after Bo Callahan this whole movie. Yeah, he wasn't was, bad. He was not bad. I agree. He knows what to do. Anyway, this film was originally planned to be centered on the Buffalo Bills, but they end up going with the Browns because there were cheaper production costs in the city of Cleveland for this production <laughs> shoot. Cleveland just cannot win. <laughs> They all, yeah, but they also filmed uh, Radio City Music Hall at the actual 2013 draft, and they uh, they got a lot of fan reaction shots, actual fan reaction shots of that draft at the Cleveland bar scene. Yeah, and that's interesting. I mean, the draft day movie was made for $25 million, and like you said, it, it seemed, we're going to talk about production values with Lindsay as well, but it did seem like it was based off of the ESPN or the NFL Network coverage of the NFL mm -hmm. draft, which makes me wonder... What is the production cost of the NFL draft every year? 
It's oh, got to be in the millions of the dollars. Roof. It has. Yeah, it, it absolutely must be. But like I said, $25 million was the budget for draft day, the movie. And although it was a failure at the international box office, because why would international territories be interested in the movie about American football? Uh, it only made $20 million, $29 million there. After it was released on April 11th of 2014, a few weeks later, after its debut, the film proved prophetic as the Browns would trade down from the fourth overall selection back up to draft a bust in cornerback Justin Gilbert. Mm. And then they traded up once again in the late first round. This was the infamous year. They drafted Johnny Football himself, Johnny Manziel. Mike, in words, the words of Bill Simmons, I still own all of my Johnny Football stock. Ugh, Mike, I'm tr- really trying to stifle my laughs because I know it's just going to jinx my own team. <laughs> I don't think we can, but I appreciate the idea. <laughs> anyway, uh, as for the critical reception numbers, Draft Day received a 54 Metascore and a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes or Tomatoes. Tomatoes, yes. Uh, audiences uh, were a little more favorable, giving it a 6.8 on IMDb and a 65% on RT. Okay, look, you said this is awesomely bad. Mm-hmm. I-, I-, I do enjoy this movie. I think any kind of sports junkie there's got to be something about this that speaks to them just in the way it's shot and the production values that it brings. This is not a seven on IMDb. I mean, we've talked about movies on here that are in the seven range that we think are all timers. I think I've always held the belief that if you get in that seven or above range on IMDb, you're talking about like some classics or some things that are underrated classics to see this hat carry a 6.8 is maybe the most shocking thing about this entire review that we're doing for me. It's not major league. I mean, major league right. for Clevelanders has got to be the pinnacle. And this movie right. is like false hope in many ways. For them. <laughs> Great point. Uh, we'll go over the plot premise right now. It reads on IMDb at the NFL draft. General manager, Sonny Weaver has the opportunity to rebuild his team when he trades for the number one pick way to give away the lead there. He must decide what he's willing to sacrifice on a life changing day for a few hundred young men with NFL dreams. Yes. And, uh, I think that premise is a bit misleading for how batshit this movie gets. <laughs> yes. Agree. But, but as premises go, I guess we've seen worse. Anyway, Mike, it's, it's time to introduce Lindsay Jones of the athletic. You met her out and about in Las Vegas or was it, uh, Atlantic it was Atlantic city. city. Yeah. Okay. It was Atlantic city. And it was a total chance meeting because I have mm-hmm. friends who have a serious gambling problem. Friends of and, friends. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I've heard of a guy. No, I was down in Atlantic city. One of my good, uh, one of my best friends from college lives down right by AC about 20 minutes outside of AC. So we go down there a lot and AC had just, uh, recently over the last like year, uh, allowed and legalized sports betting. So we went down and we went to Joe check out the sports book at one, a couple of the casinos down there. And um, we were, you know, we made a whole day of it. One of the NFL Sundays, we said we were just going to park in the sports book and we were going to watch the different games and we're going to blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So we're in the sports book and we're just hanging out. We're eating wings. We're watching all the games. I was, you know, have friends who were losing money. Uh, <laughs> and one of my buddies ends up just striking up a conversation with this girl. I think I had run to the bathroom or something. And I was in and out because of, of my, uh, I was in and out. Severe anxiety and all the things right. that it reeks right. on your digestive system. Yes, yes. yes. Just pulling out my hair. <laughs> and 
he he ended up striking up this conversation with this girl, but I noticed that this woman was writing things down. So I'm like, oh, I don't know if she's a local reporter or whatever. Come to find out, it was Miss Lindsay Jones of The Athletic, and she was down there specifically to write a piece about the Atlantic City sports books being open for the first time ever and taking action on games and what it was like and kind of the environment and talking to a couple of people who have bets placed. And she wrote down a couple lines about myself and how I was... Mm. Uh, falling in and out of love very swiftly in the fourth quarter with Andy Dalton against the Falcons. You were the Joe Exotic of her piece, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> the hate watch. The hate I, made, you know what? To her credit, and why I've been fond of her ever since, she made me sound not as crazy as I know I was during that time on that day. Oh my God, so I, I appreciated that, but she's someone I've, I've happened to stay in contact with, and I love her work. I've been keeping up with her, and I have a subscription to The Athletic, so I reached out to her asking her you know we have to have you on we got to have you on for some show or some to review some movie we were thinking about having her on for one of the uh the pixar movies because she does have a young one at home and she Mm -hmm. watches a lot of disney stuff but this one came up and i was like oh what better opportunity so here we are and uh it was a friendship that was destined to happen from the moment we both stepped foot into that atlantic city sports book michael (laughs) the apocalypse is nigh but you met a friend you met (laughs) a friend i'm I'm happy for you and i'm unhappy for Lindsay, but there it is (laughs) look i've been subscribed to the athletic myself for a while uh she does great work there writing NFL features for theathletic.com where for a price lowly price of a few cups of coffee 10 bucks a month you know you can read all of their great stuff they let you I cuss- think they even just to give them a free plug here yeah, not to cut yeah. it off I think they just during this quarantine cut it down to 250 a month it, it's awesome. I mean, it's easy. Yeah. It's awesome. I, I, I'm clicking on it every single day. They got great stuff from Dane Brugler, who's always been a draft Nick that I've admired. He mm-hmm. writes The Beast, which is his draft guide. It's huge. I'm like in the middle of that right now. You got Shams Sharania's ultimate insider coverage of the M- NBA. You Shams got, is the man, too. If you're an NBA oh fan, my God. You, you know who he is. He's like him and Woj are breaking everything. Those it's are the two guys, absolutely. One or the other. You got Mr. Dugan. Uh, constant coverage of our Giants. Uh, he's put out a ton of great stuff this week in particular. And of course, you got all these cool ass NFL features written by Lindsey Jones. I'll tell you the story one day off air about how Woj ended up blocking my personal Twitter account, but that's a different story for a Not different day. Not as surprised. Not surprised at all. As far as Lindsey goes, her recent publications include pieces on the NFL's virtual offseason program, the NFL's biggest one hit wonders, and the post free agency power rankings. I'm going to ask her in a couple minutes why the Giants <laughs> haven't signed Jadavion Clowney yet. Mm-hmm. And the Giants, uh, you're not going to be shocked to hear this in the post-free agency power rankings. They are ranked very, very, and very properly low. And I think I just answered why Jadavion <laughs> Clowney wouldn't want to sign with the Giants. But anyway, we'll have more info on how to follow Lindsey Jones during our outro, as always. But without further ado, let's get her in here to review Draft Day. We will see you guys on the other side. Here's our review with Lindsey Jones. All right, on the line right now, somebody that helped me through one of my dark days at Atlantic City Sportsbook, Lindsay Jones from The <laughs> Athletic. Lindsay, thank you so much for doing this. Hi, Mike and Mike. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Lindsay. Welcome. Uh, we usually start with uh, non-spoilers, and how we get going is asking our guests about their expectations. Do you remember when this movie came out? Did, did it have any kind of aura around it? Do you, do you remember any first impressions? 
Yeah, well, it's funny. So um, when Mike actually texted me the other day or messaged me to if I wanted to do this, I had to admit that I hadn't actually watched it. Um, <gasps> I've seen, I know, right? Um, I had oh, good for you. So seriously. I, <laughs> so I had seen it in like bits and pieces, like scenes here and there, like when it was on like HBO or whatever. But I'd never sat down and watched it from like start to finish to really get like invested in the characters or the entire plot. Um, but there was, I know, I do remember there being, you know, it was talked about, it was buzzed about in NFL circles because there were so many people that we knew and that we covered or that we worked, that were colleagues that were mm. actually in the movie. Um, there were a lot of reporters who had like little brief cameos. Uh, I was actually looking through the IMDb the other day and had forgotten. And then when I was rewatching or watching the entire movie, um, I was trying to find just these little glimpses of people that I knew and all of those little things and things that were recognizable. And, you know, and if you work in the NFL, you know, there was a lot of real stuff and real places. It was actually filmed in the Cleveland Browns facility. So, um, you know, Sonny Weaver's office, I believe, was actually Ray Farmer, who was the Mm. general manager of the Browns at the time. I believe that was his actual office. It'd be kind of interesting to go and watch like watch back part of the like hard knocks from I guess it was two years ago, right? Um, and like sync up and try to be like, oh yeah, that was John Dorsey's office, and that or yeah, they used uh, Hugh Jackson's office. But there was a lot of familiar stuff, you know. That the, the draft scenes were all very realistic because they were actually filmed at I believe the 2013 draft, even though this movie came out in 2014. Um, but yeah, I remember there was you know there was buzz and kind of excitement about it, but then also like in league circles, some you know eye rolling about some of the. Um, ridiculous things that happened. Um, And I remember, and this is honestly probably why I didn't watch it at the time. I remember the initial criticism and kind of discussions in my circles about, um, I don't believe this is a spoiler. I guess it comes in like the first scene of the movie, that there's a romantic relationship between Kevin Costner's character and Jennifer Garner's character who work together in the Browns front office. And that's just one of like the big pet peeves for me is like, can we just yeah. have like a, a strong female character or an interesting female character without her having to be in a romantic? Oh, not in inappropriate, Hollywood. No. Inappropriate <laughs> relationship with her coworker, you know. Like, right. So I think that was part of my reticence to to watch it at the, initially, and it was another thing that I was like groaning about when I watched the entire movie uh, the other day. So you you hit on uh, first of all, I think that's a great reason to avoid it and we will certainly be talking about that love storyline as well as some various other storylines that they uh, attach to this but one of the things one of the big positives that we took away is something you hit on already uh this at least the production values in this seemed very true to life and mike and i as longtime nfl fans and and you obviously having covered it for for the majority of your professional career did, did you appreciate the actual shots that it make you feel like you were actually watching the nfl draft seeing as they did shoot it live at the draft itself did it give you that kind of fan experience that same feeling in the movie as what will happen this thursday in the real nfl draft yeah, well, maybe not this Thursday. This Thursday is going to be weird, <laughs> thanks to true. The, Fair global, point. <laughs> the global coronavirus pandemic. I will be covering it from uh, an empty Airbnb suite at my in-law's basement because <laughs> I need to work and away from my three-year-old child. Um, and yeah, and all the prospects will be at their homes uh, with much smaller draft parties than any of the ones that we see in the movie. Um, but in general, yes. And I, I will say I never covered a draft at Radio City. 
um, in large part because I'm, I'm, I live in Denver. I tend to actually spend the draft either at the team that I'm covering. When I was covering the Broncos, I'd be at the Broncos facility. Um, I've also covered the draft um, in Kansas City. I've actually, co- I actually covered the 2014 draft in Cleveland. And hopefully that's something we can get into right now. Oh, yeah. It was, so it was right after <laughs> this movie came out that I was actually in Cleveland for a lot of time <laughs> that spring. Um, so I've never actually been to the draft at Radio City. But I did cover the draft in Chicago when it was at a theme that looked very similar, you know, to the inside of Radio City. Um, I covered it in Dallas when it was at AT AT&T Stadium. And then last year I was in um, Nashville when they had it kind of taking over, you know, Broadway Street in downtown Nashville. So, you know, I've been to, you know, I've, I've seen the spectacle of it. And that part is realistic. And I think that's why the NFL was okay with having so much, giving so much access because, you know, they really just showed the positive stuff. There was no negative. There was largely no negative stuff about the NFL other than you could say, man, some of these execs are big idiots. Um, (laughs) But in terms of like, you know, the pageantry and the fans are getting excited. They also seem to edit out a lot of the like booze that Roger Goodell gets. I was most offended (laughs) by the fact that he was cheered wildly going up to the stage. Have either of you guys ever gone to Radio City for the draft? No, I have not. No. Oh, well, that's disappointing. I mean, I feel like you guys should have been there booing. You know, <laughs> I boo lustily every time I see him from my living room, though. Well, so we'll mention I, I, I'm acting as commissioner for a mock draft for our, all of our beat writers mm-hmm. at The Athletic this week over Zoom. And when I told my husband that I was going to be the commissioner, he asked if he and my daughter could come into the room and boo me. I think that's only fair. <laughs> Um, so that's probably going to happen. My daughter will be like in her jammies, like, boo- booing me. But um, but then hopefully maybe maybe they'll give me some hugs and stuff in between um, in between picks too. So um, so yeah. But I think you know that that part you know and that you know they they tried to show the inside of draft rooms. You know, I think from a production standpoint, there were some things that they couldn't make completely realistic because they had to do you know just so much of what happens in the draft is actually pretty boring I think like there's not right. a lot of like cinematic value to a lot of stuff that happens in draft rooms and we're going to see a lot of that I think this week with this draft where they actually have kind of just these like every GM and head coach has like a camera installed in their um, home office that is going to be sent to the league and then the league will distribute that to ESPN so we're going to see these shots of like well it'll be D- Dave Gettleman <laughs> sitting at his desk with like the biggest binder you've ever seen and then I just see... felt a shiver go down my spine <laughs> at the thought of that <laughs> and we'll see Joe Judge sitting there with Abby the the, the golden yes. retriever and we'll see you know probably Sean McVay with like 18 monitors um, <laughs> so we'll see that but you're gonna just see guys sitting around like texting they're on their phones so it's not it's not quite as dramatic I think as some of the stuff that the movie tried to portrayed to be but the actual you know the draft is actually really fun it's um it is a big spectacle i mean last year nashville was really cool they did such a good job i mean it's it's like hard to imagine now in like the state we're in where we never see other people but you could not walk i mean it was it was shoulder to shoulder for like four or five blocks of of broadway all um, I remember was, the, from Nashville is that there all the stories about the bachelorettes that were going down oh, there yeah. that were like up in arms. They were the so, they were so mad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I didn't I didn't feel bad for them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, the bars cool. were still open. Yeah. Like there were a lot of dudes around to buy you shots. Like it's fine. You know, relax. 
that's wild that you, you're simpatico with us on a lot of these points because, yeah, we thought they got the uh, production values right. I know we, we, it was cool to see all the NFL visuals, all those you know beautiful aerial shots and whatnot. The script, however, like you were mentioning, <laughs> you know, like the romance is kind of flubbed. I mean, they go for a high degree of difficulty with what they're they're trying to attain. Like, what's the worst aspect of it? Do you think is it the romance? Is it the drama of trying to you know make this draft seem so outlandishly suspenseful? Is it the lingo? Did they get the lingo wrong? What's the biggest yeah. fail? You think? Well, personally, I think it's like the forcing the romantic relationship. Yeah. I mean, I was glad that they have like a, a woman who's running the salary cap because God knows we need more women in the NFL and Amen. in actual important positions. But uh, so that bothered me personally, but I think I'm probably in a, the minority there. The other thing that bothered me and when um, I was recap, my, my husband has also never seen this movie and I recapped it for him. And the, the thing, the first thing that I told him and the thing that drove me nuts, I don't know. Are we into a spoiler zone yet? Can we? Not quite. Okay. So I won't get into the specifics, but largely they don't it's it's draft day like they have the tick the count the clock ticking down of how many minutes and hour, hours and minutes and seconds are left and they're doing the most basic research yes. on these prospects <laughs> so that was the thing that drove me probably the most crazy and like should have gotten basically every single one of these guys not just from the Cleveland Browns Kevin Costner and his team but from all of the teams that were involved in this movie fired because <laughs> if you are trying to like find footage of a guy who should be the number one overall pick like four hours before the draft starts. Right. Oh, God. I mean, that's, you know, that's. You should probably practice. have yeah. his medical records already searched out and already thumbed through by that point. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Agree. You should have already have talked to his college coach, you know, so that, <laughs> I, that was, to me, that was the most unrealistic part of this whole thing. Um, and they needed it to add drama because that was the entire plot of this movie it was like, are they going to pull, make a big switch and, change who they're going to draft and, you know, change the entire course of the 2014 draft. I, I get that, but that's entirely, well, I'll say that's entirely unrealistic until you actually look at what the real 2014 Cleveland Browns did in their draft, <laughs> um, which we don't need spoiler alerts there. But you know, Justin probably, Gilbert's doing fine, I think, somewhere. I Honestly, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Um <laughs> I I mean, if you would have told me that the Browns didn't actually do any research into the two guys that they drafted in the first <laughs> round in 2014, I would believe you. But that's like its own um, its its own unique circumstance. All right, we'll start wrapping up the non-spoiler stuff. But you being in the industry of sports journalism and following this stuff very, very closely, we had a lot of NFL cameos in this movie. Arian Foster had a major role. Chris Berman was there. John Gruden's there. Mel Kuyper, Jim Brown. Obviously, you mentioned Roger Goodell as well. We were kind of high, a little surprised at, at how they were able to pull off these performances, even though they were pretty much doing what they do on TV every day anyway. Did you have any one performance that was a highlight for you or, or something positive that we can grasp onto now before? Or we just dive into the negative. Ooh, um, I'm trying to think. I feel like the NFL cameos. You know, I I didn't hate Arian Foster's performance. Um, mm. You know, he played, I guess, Ray Jennings, the troubled running back, which also we have to remember. So this was, it was, I guess, filmed in 2013, written prior to that, mm -hmm. which was kind of a different NFL than yeah. it is now, where, you know, if there was a guy who legit 
beat up some dudes to the point that they were still in the hospital. Um, That's not something that would kind of quickly get glossed over um, in the current, in the current NFL. But in terms of like an acting performance, um, I thought he was fine. Um, He's a really interesting dude. I mean, one of the most interesting guys probably ever in the NFL. Um, And, you know, and good for him to, I mean, Look, he was he was in the movie because he was going to be a really good football player. He was undrafted. Aaron Foster was. So mm. he got to have his like draft experience and go and sit in the green room and hear his name called as a first round pick. So um, so, yeah, I, I, I was fine with Aaron Foster. Um, I'm trying to think it's just the, to me, the other kind of fun part was just like was like Easter eggs almost of spotting mm. NFL people like the executive from the Buffalo Bills who calls to like discuss a trade. His name in the movie was listed as Brandon Russ. His name mm-hmm. is actually Russ Brandon, and he was actually the president of the Buffalo Bills. Huh. Oh, I which, didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so the guy who's sitting at the desk making that phone call, um, and which is kind of funny because actually in the actual 2014 NFL draft, the Browns made a really big trade with the Bills mm-hmm. in the first round, and that's how the Bills ended up drafting Sammy Watkins, and it was one of multiple moves that the Browns made when they blew up their franchise um, in 2014 once again um but so it was just little it was little things like that um you know there's a scene where they when when the browns are finally actually calling in i think their pick and they're calling in the trades the guy that they make the phone call to answers the phone at radio city is named ken fiore and he's the director of player personnel for the NFL. He's the guy who actually answers the phone. So when Dave Gettleman's Wi-Fi freezes on Thursday night, he's going to call Ken Fiore, who's the guy who actually, who answered the phone in the movie. Like that's who it is. So that from like a league perspective, that was really fun to me, for me to just like spot all of these people, you know, it was players, it was media people. It was like kind of jarring to see John Gruden and Mike Mayock back in their analyst roles right. instead of now running mm-hmm. the Raiders. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, it, you know, from that value, it was fun. You know, it was fun to see places that I knew, places that I'd been, you know, I'd been in those offices in the Browns building. Um, and then, you know, like grumbling when they show the, out- they, so they show like the actual outside of the Seahawks training facility, but then they're not inside of it. And I'm like, that's not what the windows look like in John Schneider's <laughs> no. office, you know, but that's just like dumb insider you know, you can't you can't actually see people protesting outside of John Schneider's window um, <laughs> in Seattle. The, the Seahawks have the most gorgeous training facility in the league. It's 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 insane. So it's too bad that they weren't actually able to set it there instead of um, in Cleveland and used used the Seahawks facility instead of the Browns, which the Browns is fine. It's just like a pretty nondescript office in suburban Cleveland. Well, this is cathartic to hear from Mike and I, because in the preamble to this, we were like wondering why we kind of, I mean, yes, we hate to, we we love to hate this movie, but we also hate to love it. And maybe all these NFL familiarities, even though we don't have all the insider know-how that you do, but we're watching NFL Network all the time. We're reading about it. We're obsessed. We're obsessed right. fanatics in many ways. So you're, you're mentioning why we uh, subliminally might be attracted to this film. But I guess before we get into spoilers, I mean, do you think you can recommend this movie as a guilty pleasure because of all those, you know, little authenticities in a way? Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, look we're in quarantine right now. We've got, we got, we got a lot of time to kill. So because there's a global pandemic, I guess you could watch this. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, Perfect. I enjoyed it a little bit more than I was expecting once I sat down to watch 
the entire movie kind of start to finish. Um, you know, and right now, if you're missing like the pageantry of the NFL and like the real, yes. you know, the real stuff of the draft, you know, there's still, you know, there's still, still some good pieces there. And, you know, it's, it's like it's a junk food movie. You know, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't come out of it feeling a lot smarter or more, more like culturally enriched, but, um, you know, I don't think you'll hate yourself after watching it either. <laughs> I'm also, to be fair, I'm not like a movie. Uh, I'm not nearly as like uh, well versed in movies as you guys are. Mostly because I have a three year old, and so um, I watch like nothing but Disney Plus. And um, <laughs> you're well, ver- you're well versed in, in the important stuff, is what you're saying. As opposed, that's to, right. As opposed the money making right, stuff, exactly. Uh, Mike, watch or don't watch for you. Oh, watch this. I mean, this is just a train wreck, a glorious train wreck. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I think Lindsay hit it on the head. We'll transition into spoilers. Spoilers ahead! This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for NFL Draft Day, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We are honored to have Lindsay Jones of TheAthletic.com joining us and giving us her professional insight today as well. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause. Like Lindsay said, it's a global pandemic, so you might as well throw this on. You can come back and hit play. We'll be waiting for you when you get back here. If you've seen the movie already or you're just curious to hear our thoughts, this is where you want to be. All spoilers from here on out for Draft Day, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar with Lindsay Jones from The Athletic. Now, Lindsay, you are in a very unique position here as you have, like you've said, firsthand experience being with and covering specifically the Cleveland Browns at the 2014 draft, which is what this movie portrays. Now, this movie has a very glossy feel about what what happened. There's some behind-the-scenes drama, but obviously it is a movie, so it has that cinematic happy ending. Your experience covering the 2014 Browns on the draft day and thereafter, uh, not very similar, right? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think you could say that the 2014 NFL draft had a happy ending for anybody, really. I mean, some of their later pick, their mid-round picks were were great. I think they got Joel Blatonio, who's, you know, been a starter at guard mm-hmm. for them forever. Christian Kirksey um, just got released this offseason, but a really good player. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but Linebacker. their first round was an unmitigated disaster. I mean, it's going to go down as one of the worst drafts that I can, you know, probably in history that a team has, how badly a team has failed. Um, it got a lot of people fired, um, including the head coach, the general manager, um, a lot of, you know, then and then everybody who works for all of those guys. I mean, this draft got them all fired. But so back going back into 2014, heading into that draft, you know, from kind of like a storytelling journalism perspective, we're always looking at, okay, who's going to go where? What stories do we want to write? I remember thinking, okay, the Browns have two first round picks. And they definitely need a quarterback. and Which is a story at, every year with them, it seems. Which basically, yeah, until the last like two years, which <laughs> right. has been so weird. Um, <laughs> and, you know, thinking like, okay, maybe they'll give us some access. And I, the, they needed some like good publicity. Um, I knew their, P, their head PR guy pretty well. And so I kind of, I pitched it for a while and just said, hey, like, let's, let's just go like embed at, you know, in Berea. Ohio for the couple days of the draft, not knowing that they were going to draft Johnny Manziel. I mean, that was not part of the thing, but we just knew that they were going to be a really important 
player in the draft sure. given the capital that they had and the needs that they and what their needs were. So I went out to Cleveland a couple days before the draft. I think I, you know, probably flew in on like Tuesday. And then Wednesday, like spent the day at their facility. I met with Mike Petton in his office. I met with Ray Farmer in his office, you know, just kind of talking about draft plans and what they thought was going to happen. And I very distinctly, so my my interview with Mike Petton got pushed back like 15 or 20 minutes because his real his realtor was there and they were closing on his house in Cleveland. Oh, jeez. And I remember thinking like, this might be a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so he was a first year head coach, you know, maybe... uh, Maybe maybe rent. Yeah, for apartments a while. exist. You know, <laughs> I mean, at this point, the Browns probably should have had just like a like a house that they owned and they just let their head coach live in. <laughs> it would have been, probably been cheaper. Um, but so I remember thinking, like, this might be a bad idea. But you know, he's like a he was a pretty candid guy, and I remember sitting in in his office with him, and I do remember asking him about Johnny Manziel specifically, and you know, him kind of playing coy about you know everything's on the table. You know, he wouldn't commit or not commit to everything or anything. And I distinctly remember him saying that this could be the draft that changes everything for the Cleveland Browns. That's probably well, not he the wasn't exact wrong. Goal. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He wasn't wrong. But, um, you know, he obviously thought that they were going to make this huge splash mm-hmm. and, you know, draft like the quarterback that was going to save the team and save all of their jobs. And I mean, look, he was he had been on the job for like three months. Like he didn't think he was on the verge of getting fired, but history with the Browns would show that he was on the verge of getting fired. Um, but even dating back before that, I remember what, it was a weird pre-draft process for the Browns. So Ray Farmer was a new general manager, Mike Pettin, first year head coach. And they decided like as an organization, as a staff, that they were not going to like scout in a traditional manner. They were not going to attend the pro days. You know, they were going to, you know, let their scouts do their job, but then they were going to, you know, really focus on the film and then their their interviews when they got brought, brought guys in. They weren't, you know, they weren't going to kind of get into the group think of the NFL. Ultimately, <laughs> this was a huge failure. <laughs> but so I covered Johnny Menzel's Pro Day in College <laughs> Station, Texas, and it was the most ridiculous Pro Day I've ever seen. Um, I haven't covered Music, a ton yeah. of them. Yeah, I mean, he, Ugh. yeah, I mean, President uh, George Bush, the first one, was there, and Barbara Bush, and they were like on. It was in the indoor practice facility, and so they were like on the field in a golf cart with their little dogs. Um, Johnny, why? Came out. So weird. I I have a picture. I, I'll send. I'll, I'll I'll message you the picture if I can find it on my phone. Um, nice. But so Johnny, like you know, normally what happens at a pro day, it's just on like the practice field at mm-hmm. a state at a, at a school, and they're all the guys that are going to work out are, are warming up. They're going through their stretches, and you know some preliminary drills and stuff not a big deal they're all in like you know shorts and cleats and nobody's wearing uniforms or anything Mm -hmm. but johnny did his own like private warm-up outside away from you know kind of in private the other guys are around you know mike evans is out there like running around on the field and then Mm -hmm. it's like i you know he everything goes quiet they start playing drake no johnny comes in in (laughs) shoulder pads a jersey that are that had been like yeah. custom made for him from nike like so he had already signed with nike who had put out this like johnny football line that they were going to sell oh and God. so so he comes out and goes through his whole workout like it's script obviously it's scripted all pro days are scripted but it's like scripted and also like choreographed to music and what? Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean it's so, choreographed? I mean, yeah. Well, like he yeah, had he had a playlist. So he had like a playlist set. <laughs> so he was he wasn't doing like a, a a dance routine, but it was just it was so bizarre. 
and the you know him being in the 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 shoulder pad and a jersey and helmet you know the guys don't wear a helmet at pro day right you know it was it was just so weird and it was just a circus and and actually i just spoiled myself by saying circus but i remember talking to a head coach on the field after who called it an effing circus and that <laughs> and guy the Browns was, were like this is our guy we, and they didn't see any of that and the the coach who called it an effing circus he was the head coach of a team that needed a quarterback and ended up actually drafting a quarterback that year but he saw that and was like why would i want this right for my organization like this is this is not the the guy i want but yeah so i mean that's kind of just the background on like that 2014 browns so fascinating <laughs> so when i think about the movie draft day and how ill prepared all of their <laughs> staff was i think it's really preposterous but then i remember what the actual browns did <laughs> and maybe it wasn't so preposterous after all oh my god so the browns have this uh you know they do finagle they it's it's kind of true to life with what how they work their draft board versus what kevin costner does in this movie kevin costner goes from seven to one back down to six or he drafts at one then he moves back up to six back down to seven and the the browns had experience doing that we talked about that on our intro they they took justin gilbert but they moved down in that trade with the bills and then they moved back up later in the draft to get johnny manziel uh not to make this a whole podcast about johnny football but the, you you ended up covering, happy to i'm happy to <laughs> you ended up covering the uh what do you call it the rookie it wasn't the rookie symposium uh yeah it was it's called the rookie premiere and it's an event that the nflpa puts on and it's basically for like the top marketable guys so it's it's mostly skill position guys almost all offensive players um, even though there's, you know, there were that year, the number one overall pick was Jadavian Clowney. So, of course, he was there. There mm-hmm. were a couple defensive players there. Um, you know, Khalil Mack was in that draft, um, which I kept thinking, Vont- you know, Vontae Mack, the character in this movie, right. and Khalil Mack, yeah. who, you know, the best defensive. History has shown us that Khalil Mack, if they were, if, should have been the number one pick. Monster. In the draft. I mean, Absolute he was the monster. best right. player in that draft, um, where, you know, Vontae Mack. Probably the best player in the uh, the the faux draft that we watched, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. So I you know I spent a lot of time in Cleveland right after the draft. So I was there the night that they drafted Johnny. Um, when they they flew him in the next day, uh, they had set me at the Browns had like agreed to give me a little bit of time with their first round picks. So I was one of the only reporter. I think it was like me and NFL Network who got like one on one time with with Johnny the next day and okay. uh, struck me as like pretty aloof, probably hungover. Um, during our, you know, during our short conversation, not, not very interested or engaged in, um, having just been drafted. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of guys right after they've been drafted and he was, um, different, I would say. Um, and so it's just, you're mimicking the Kevin Costner character here and the, the way that the approach that these characters take to how, you know, how important is winning to you? Like he asked the Bo Callahan character. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, so it was late May was they have this rookie premiere and it's out in Los Angeles. They put up all the, the put all the guys up at a hotel in Beverly Hills and they have kind of a whole series of events, um, mostly all marketing based. And it's, it's a lot of stuff with, you know, New Era and Panini cards. And um, they do a photo shoot at the Coliseum when and they get their uniforms for the first time. So, you know, they get to debut in their it's kind of like unboxing before like unboxing, I think was really a thing where they, right. they have them all hung up in their lockers inside the locker room at the, 
I guess it's USC's home locker room. It wasn't the ones that the Rams used. Um, but so they would go in. They would, like, see their full uniform, get to put it on. They'd go out on the field. Everybody who's there takes a full picture. And then they have these different stations. They have, like, a card signing station. They take their pictures that end up on the playing cards. So that's why playing cards for the rookie football cards all have, like, the same generic USC Coliseum background. It's because they're all taken at this event in Los Angeles. So Johnny... They had had a party the night before, um, and then Johnny went out after, like, clubbing in L.A., like, out in West Hollywood. And there had been paparazzi photos of him and, God, I don't even remember which celebrities he was with. But, you know, it was a very classic, like, Johnny football. Mm-hmm. And the the event at the Coliseum the next morning was pretty early. Like, I think they had to be there. You know, they were on a bus pretty early, and it maybe started at 8 a.m. or something. He was so hungover. I mean, like barely functioning hungover. And like, I remember him walking like down the stairs and just like grumbling and cursing about like this effing BS and like, uh, and then welcome to the league. Yeah. One of the stations. So they had these like card signing stations and they were in the, you know, those like tailgating tents, those like pop-up tents to provide a little bit of shade. And, uh, God, now I can't remember the kid. It was like he was a quarterback from Clemson, like back before Clemson had good quarterbacks. Um, Taj Boyd. Taj Boyd, yeah. So Taj Boyd yeah. was like great personality, was like having a lot of fun with it, and he had taken some like camera and microphone from one of the, and so there were not a lot of reporters there. Like I was one of the only reporters there at all. I think you know I had kind of set up to cover this event, mm-hmm. and I was trying to kind of shadow Jadavian Clowney, who then basically did not cooperate at all, despite like his agents and all the NFLPA people telling him he needed to. Sure. That was another story. Um, <laughs> but I remember Taj trying to like interview the other players for, I don't, it, maybe it was NFLPA's own cameras or whatever. And Johnny wanted zero part of it to the point that he crawled under the table. So like he signed his, oh like, he had, I don't know, he had like 50 playing cards or whatever they needed to sign ripped through those, then went and laid down on the grass under this table. So it was like the darkest, like quietest place he could find in the stadium. And I remember Taj Boyd like crouches down, like lifts up the little like tablecloth thing and tries to like interview Johnny from under the table. And Johnny wasn't even like speaking. So he had his like arm sticking out from under the table. And Taj was asking him questions like, hey, Johnny, how's your day going? And he was like, thumbs down. And like, do you like being here? Thumbs up. Or like, you're going to be the best player in the league? Thumbs up. But he didn't actually talk. So I have the pictures on my phone. And so I remember, like, I wrote it in there. Like, I didn't make it its own story. I wasn't like TMZ style, Johnny Manziel hung over at the rookie rookie premiere. (laughs) But like, I thought it was very relevant information about how this guy was carrying himself and how he was acting. And... I kind of put it like in a kind of a straight news story just about like this event and the Browns beat writers like immediately start like texting like, wait, what is going on? I told you guys, I told you guys this is going to happen. And um, so, yeah, I was not surprised about anything that transpired over the, I guess what he, it was only a couple years that he actually lasted in Cleveland. Um, But yeah, all the stories of him drinking and being late and flying to Las Vegas and dressing up in a costume to try to avoid being seen while he was at a poker tournament, you know, all of, none of that stuff surprised me 
uh, about Johnny Manziel. Lindsay, you have <laughs> unlocked this entire film for us, for, for both of us right yes. now. With these two backstories. But because... wouldn't, this, wouldn't have that been a better movie than <laughs> well, what actually yeah. happened? Because that was true. And this movie tried in, in many ways or in stranger ways to almost top the real thing. Like you could see these screenwriters saying, if this shit was like this... <laughs> We have to really go above and beyond. Although this These... happened after, which is crazy. Oh, well, I guess, yeah, I mean, all right, that's right. But I guess, you know, if Cleveland is this toxic in a, in a way, heading into this period, oh, my goodness gracious. Like, <laughs> I, I guess I get this movie now. Like, I get why the exposition is so bizarre. By far the best thing that the the screenwriters for this movie and production and the directors and everything, the best thing that they did was focus it on the Cleveland Browns. It makes <laughs> it far more believable. If they had done, like if this had been about the, the New England Patriots, right. you know, some like fictional New England Patriots front office or any other functional NFL franchise. I mean, if it had been about the 2013, 2013 uh, New York Giants, it wouldn't have been maybe 20. 18, I was going to say, you're trying to be a little close to home right now. I think but, we might be uh, on the verge of it. <laughs> this is going to get cut. Um, but making it about the Browns made it extremely believable and plausible, given what we know about that era of the Cleveland Browns. So I guess the follow-up there is just like, which piece of exposition is the closest to real life? I mean, we literally have nepotism here like we've never seen. Like Sonny Weaver Jr. fires Sonny Weaver Sr., who he fires him to death. <laughs> and we... <laughs> We have the Seahawks who just won the Super Bowl. We have them picking number one, I guess, in a you know savvy PR move. We have Dennis Leary as a head coach, you know, hate his GM. We have all this drama of the you know the draft calls over breakfast, where you know apparently you're not spo- supposed to call first, according to Dave Gettleman, but they do here. <laughs> I'm wondering, is there any like you know actual truth to to Act One? Where yeah. where you can connect it to all that craziness that you just mentioned? Well, I definitely think there are times where there's like disagreement within the building. And then there is that power struggle of like whose pick, whose interest. Mm. And, and it's definitely happened to the Browns. I mean, remember with the, I guess, 2018 draft, right? When the, the year that they took Baker Mayfield, that there was a lot of disagreement in that building between Hugh Jackson and John Dorsey and, you know, an ownership of like who, who they wanted, what they wanted to do with that number one overall pick. So I think that's fairly plausible that there is this, you know, competing interest and, you know, every, you can have different opinions on players. The problem happens when a coach and a general manager are not kind of like aligned contractually where a new general manager comes in and he's stuck with a prior head coach right. or the head coach has been there for a while. They hire a new GM and then there's all these competing interests of like, I'm trying to save my job, but this guy didn't hire me. So that, that does happen and that can be unrealistic. You know, I think the, the best case a lot of times are, you know, the Seahawks are the best example of it where their general manager and their head coach are just always on the same contract where Pete Carroll and John Schneider were hired at the same time. They've gotten all their extensions yeah. at the same time. There's a pretty clear that, you know, Pete Carroll does have final say over the 53-man roster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think he has final say on draft day too. But their, you know, their interests are very aligned there. Um, that is not mm. the case everywhere. <laughs> and so every time you see these coaching, the hiring cycles where GMs mm. and head coaches are not coming in at the same time, um, then that can be an issue. Like you look at the Giants this year. You know, Dave Gettleman kept oh his job. They hired a new head coach. But if the Giants are a disaster this year, 
you could definitely see Gettleman getting fired. They bring in a new head coach, but that new head coach or that new general manager, excuse me, didn't hire the head coach. And then you just have this constant cycle of people not being in alignment. So yeah, that sounds um, like the Giants. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So sorry to keep bringing up the Giants. (laughs) No, no, no. It's for a good reason. We get it. Believe me. (laughs) But this is, I mean, this is, so that part is, um, is realistic to me that there are kind of these competing interests and, you know, I don't know if there's ever that quite that much distrust and disdain for each other. You know, that might have been a little bit of, you know, Hollywood creative licensing there. But I think that part is that part is realistic. <laughs> well, glad to hear that it's, it's somewhat true to life. And I guess uh, one of the things that was less true to life, at least for people that have been following the NFL for a long time, is that when we finally get into the, the drama and the deal making that goes on in draft day, Seattle is on the phone. They have the number one pick. They're on the phone with Sonny, the Kevin Costner character. And Costner, they're trying to dangle number one because Bo Callahan, who is supposedly this once-in-a-generation QB, the Andrew Luck equivalent, I guess, is sitting there at number one. Uh, And they say, look, you need a quarterback, which, again, like we said, Cleveland always does, even in the movies, Mm. to go down from one to seven. All Seattle wants is to pick swap in the first a future first and a future third. I don't know about you guys and you, especially Lindsay, having covering this, but to me, that was infuriating. That kicked off the infuriatingness of this movie because what GM doesn't pounce on that deal? And their fan base, if they knew that deal got out and the GM didn't take it, wouldn't there be riots? Yeah, I mean, they should have jumped on it initially. You know, the I think the deal that he ended up doing, the, the three first, was too much. Yeah. But yeah. the initial one, that totally makes sense. Um, you know, I guess the, the infuriating part for me is that Seattle waited until the morning of the draft to start having these conversations right. and that <laughs> Cleveland hadn't even considered it. They hadn't even thought about the option of moving up to number one until Seattle's GM called, you know, 10 hours before the draft. That was the thing that was like, that's completely, that's completely unbelievable and completely not how any of this stuff works. I mean, these draft conversations, these trade conversations start in February, right? If not earlier, yeah. I mean, they're they're happening at the NFL Combine. You know, the if you remember the trade? I guess it was twenty the twenty sixteen draft when the Rams moved up to number one. Mm-hmm. They traded with Tennessee. No, who did they trade? Yeah, with? the no, Rams traded with Tennessee um, to move to move up to get the number one pick. That happened in early March. Like those conversations start happening pretty early. I mean, and it's it's in conversations between general managers. I mean, they have. In normal non-pandemic years, there's the owners' meetings in March where all the owners and general managers are there. There's a lot of conversations that happen at those meetings. None of this starts the morning of the draft. And, you know, that's why if you're going to move up, if you're going to give up that much capital, whether it's the initial offer of, you know, basically two first-round picks or the insane trade that they ended up making, like, you better be damn sure of what you're doing. It has to be signed off by multiple levels in your organization like there are very few scenarios that i can imagine where a general manager it's a general manager to general manager phone call and the guy can mm-hmm. just say yes right yes you, know, you have you have to run that by your owner first of all <laughs> never mind even actually if, embarrassing the owner as kevin costner does in this movie yeah i mean even if your owner has taken it to his water park and instructed <laughs> you to make a splash you still 
need to run it by him before you say yes we have a deal i would think so i did but... not, so i did not inc- I, I should have i am i'm remiss in mentioning this so in the johnny uh-huh. menzel saga in actual 2014 so i guess the night before the draft so it must have been wednesday night that year the jimmy haslam like told the story the next day that he had been out to dinner and was leaving dinner and he there was like a homeless man on the street. It's a ridiculous like, story. Yes. And was like, Jimmy, you got to draft Johnny football. And Jimmy Haslam was like, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Homeless man. We got to draft Johnny football. And so I don't know how much that truly played a role in them drafting Johnny, but there was some ownership influence there that ownership wanted him. And, uh, that is also unusual. You know, the best organizations do not have their owner influencing to a great extent who their draft pick is going to be. Everyone in you know, Dallas he, just cringed. Well, they're a unique situation because he's actually <laughs> yeah. the general manager, too. So where I said that, you know, you there's very few instances where the general manager can just make the call. Dallas is one of them because, right. it's you know, it's, it's Stephen and Jerry mm-hmm. and they can just make the call. But most other places, like you're going to have to get that approved. Um, you're going to have to get the draft pick kind of signed off. Like there's not oh. a thing. The, the general manager is not sitting up in his office by himself, like watching the clock tick down. <laughs> like, no, he's in the war room. They're having discussions. Like they're going to be on Zoom. They're all going to be having these conversations. <laughs> there's not just one guy. And then he walks in and says, like, yeah, we made a pick. Like that does. If he had actually yeah, been sitting hilarious. up in his office, there would have been like six people pounding on his door, like "Get your ass mm. out here! Get in the war room with us! Like, what are you doing?" I love that. Um, we traded up for number one, and I'm just gonna mosey into the war room late too. Like, the, I want to have the conversation at some point too about which GM actually was just the worst in this movie. But Mike set us up with a little <laughs> more drama. All right. Yeah. So we get from act one to act two. And I agree with you that the, you know, as a New York Knicks fan and following James Dolan all these years, I probably, I I could see like Frank Langella being a bit of a kook as a billionaire or whatever he was at the water park, dangerous water parks, by the way, (laughs) as the water park uh, owner there. But so we, yeah, we, they make the trade. It's, it's gets batshit from there because he can't be found on premises. The aftermath of what happens uh, on site there with his room getting trashed, that incompetent in- intern that's thrust on him oh, poor day Rick. of the draft. <laughs> Justice for Rick. <laughs> do, you, do you hear any of these like behind-the-scenes stories of actual draft days getting insane like this? Because Act 2 just goes off the rails, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think this was uh, very much um, fictionalized. You know, oh, I think God. there get to be some like kind of sometimes can be some like hectic moments on the clock when trade scenarios are going and when you're getting multiple when there's multiple trade scenarios that they're juggling. And, you know, maybe you think you have a deal done with Team A and then Team B comes in late. Um, and that's why there's been a lot of questions this week. I'm going to write about it, too, about how those trade scenarios are going to go down when everybody is not in the same room. Um, right. But in terms of like, yeah, players coming into the facility and wanting to know what's going on. And, you know, there really is much more of a separation there that if a team is going to draft a quarterback, there is conversation or there should be conversation with the veteran guy, but not in the manner that it happened, that it happened in the movie. Um, I, I, that is pretty rare. Usually it happens as like, hey, man, we're, we're thinking about we might draft a quarterback. But, you know, none of these guys are going to be blindsided by it. 
You, know, you don't I think, think you don't haven't heard any stories of Mike McCarthy like going into Jerry Jones's office and setting the playbook on fire and leaving it on his desk <laughs> and drafting. No, that would be amazing. <laughs> I mean, and if it were to happen, it would have happened in Cleveland. Is the only is all I is all I got. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think all of that stuff and just the sheer amount of things that happened in that same day, like they bring his mother shows up with the urn to go scatter oh. the ashes on draft day. Like she's a football wife. Like she had like spent her entire life in football, married to a head coach, raised a son yeah. in football. Like to think that you could just show up on like the busiest day. Does like, she just hate her son? She must. Right. right? Yes. Um, <laughs> After. So that was, that was really bizarre. And then I, I was a little unsure about, did Jennifer Garner, did Allie tell Sonny that morning that she was pregnant? Yeah, that well, it was the night day? before. It was the, the night before. before, and she got offended that he didn't react. So, I mean, all of these things. So, I mean, that entire plot line could have just completely been dropped. I think the entire storyline about his father having just died, that could have been dropped. Like, I think the movie would have been fine without all of this mm. other right. ridiculous the bcde storylines there's they're so melodramatic and the movie I mean, suffered right maybe they needed it because otherwise it would literally be nothing but cell phone calls and it would have been nothing but those like <laughs> split screen calls they needed something else to have interactions between other characters but yeah i mean that stuff was all you know pretty ridiculous to me i had one more question leading up to the actual pick because there is a scene where apparently you know, the security, the head of security for the Browns is, you know, advising, you know, Kevin Costner, GM, the day of four hours before the draft on all these possible red flags on Bo Callahan here. <laughs> and there's a second story about a plague book with a hundred dollar yeah. bill at the end of it. I was dying to know because, I mean, even in high school football, like everybody knows everybody's plays. I mean, that's just common knowledge. So I wonder if the NFL is like this. It, do they give all these prospects their playbooks like before the draft? I had never heard of that. I don't believe that's true. Um, you mm. know, they do. They will give them like bef to prepare for their top 30 visits. They will give them like specific plays um, or they'll right. go over things at the combine. Like they'll in their combine interviews, they'll talk about specific plays or things and then they'll bring them back up and ask them, you know, to see if they have the recall that they can remember exactly what they had talked about back in February. Um, I don't, I've never heard of them sending a playbook. I mean, I can't imagine mm. any coach being okay with, I mean, they're not allowed to send their their own players like home with playbooks in the off season. So the fact oh, that yeah, so the point. idea that they were, that they would just send, you know, 50 prospects Play. I mean, mm -hmm. I could. I, it could be plausible that they send them a chunk of plays, and maybe they're fairly generic plays. But I can't imagine that they're sending them the actual playbook. But it also is plausible that they would do things to try to catch them in a lie, to try to trick them, to try yeah. to find out, you know, gauge their credibility, um, how honorable they are. Um, the but the idea of it being the actual playbook, I don't think makes sense. I, I that's good insight. That's a great point about how you can't even send your contracted players home during the offseason because of the NFLPA regulations. And yeah, that, that would shine a light on that. Um, yeah, I mean, they just had to negotiate, like go through negotiations between the league and the PA to allow them to send playbooks right now while they're in this virtual right, right. offseason to figure mm -hmm, out how mm -hmm. those were going to look and be distributed. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So we're at we're at the draft now, finally, and we're heading towards the end of this movie, and we have Kevin Costner's jockeying for a position here. He's made the trade, he's gone up to number one, and he's given away the farm, essentially. Three first-round picks. It's essentially the RG3 deal that the, the Redskins made with the Rams years before. Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody thinks it's going to be Bo Callahan, the big superstar glory boy QB. In a world in which Bo Callahan, I don't care who his comparison is, Andrew Luck, say whoever you want, Peyton Manning, if he's on the board, even if you trade up and you take a Khalil Mack, which is what Vontae Mack, the comparison you made, Lindsay, if you do that under the guys that you're trading up to get your quarterback and you take the linebacker, how much backlash would a GM be facing on his blogs and on the internet and online and maybe even in Radio City if this is where the draft was held? Yeah, I mean, I think the immediate reaction in the movie was pretty accurate. You know, the the owner throwing the jersey and everybody in the draft room like wanting to fight him. You know, I think that was pretty that was pretty accurate. Um, yeah, it, it would be immense. It would be immense backlash because, and not just because you're only going to pull off a trade like that to draft to to get a quarterback. Right. You could have had him at seven. And that's what he knew. And they acknowledged that in the movie that like, yeah, I just pulled off this ridiculous trade for a kid that would have still been there at seven, who they were talking about how he could, you know, half an hour before they were his agent, who is agent in the movie, Vontae Max agent is David Dunn, who's actually like a real NFL power agent. Um, oh, wow. So that was another little Easter egg. Um, but talking about like preparing him for a fall that he could fall into like the 20s. Exactly. You know, the exactly. teens into the 20s. So, you know, that, yeah, I mean, it would have been completely within the realm of possibility that they fire him on the spot. Uh, th- uh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And who holds the bag now after all the jockeying is done in this draft? Cleveland trades three firsts to go from seven to one to get a guy that they could have gotten at 14. Uh, we have mm. everybody else passing on Bo Callahan for no reason. Denver and Arizona take other players. Uh, Jacksonville is just panicking, apparently, and they let Cleveland like back in the dance. He's, like, peeing all over himself. Like. <laughs> <laughs> they let Sonny trade back to number six for three seconds, which isn't even enough to make that kind of a jump to go down 33 picks, but whatever. Which GM is the worst? Or is it Seattle's GM who ends up taking a guy at seven that they could have taken at one and moved from one to seven with nothing to show for it? I mean, I think they're all really bad. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if those are the three that we're really ranking. um, And you know what? I'm going to throw Buffalo in there, too, who basically, like, offered a really big trade just to, like, help out his friend. Oh, good point. Like, no, you don't, like, you, you, you maybe call him just to, like, Try to scare him or something? I don't know. That was that was bizarre. Um, you know, I still think Sonny is terrible. Um, he ultimately came out getting all his picks back and looked like this really savvy guy because he was able to pull one over against um, Jacksonville and then this guy who was panicking in Seattle. But I mean, God, they were all they were all bad, and I hope they. I, I'm guessing all of them. If this had been a real scenario, they would have all been fired by the end of the next season, if not before i keep coming back to this fact about the finale like i don't understand why the fans the pundits the radio people the frankelangelas of this universe would be happy with the fact that basically what they wound up getting is a you know undersized edge rusher brian burns or clayson of this year supposed (laughs) to go 17 they pick him one when they could have gotten him at seven and then they pick a running back who people who's going to fall down the board too because he gets into fights apparently (laughs) and he has all these character risks 
And so they got those two players in the top 10 and they basically trade two second round picks to, or three second round picks of the next three years. They didn't get those back. And they, they have this quarterback with a terrible knee and yes, Maybe in the building, people know that he's, you know, he's tip top shape again, but nobody out there in the world, none of the fans know that they have a quarterback. Why would everybody be happy with this? Yeah, no, I don't think anybody, you know, there's, there's that initial like post draft night, like glee that's happening basically everywhere in the league every year where everybody's like, we got the guy we wanted and then they're (laughs) selling it and it's nothing but positives. Um, You know, sometimes there will be a little bit of, some little bit of grumbling, but like I bet the shine was off of Sonny Weaver real quick. <laughs> and, you know, the Sonny and, and what's the coach's name? I can't remember. Coach Penn, I guess. Right. Dennis Leary's Dennis character. Leary, yeah. They they like kind of make up and like you still want to quit now. And they kind of like, you know, put their arms around each other. Like that relationship was over by by May. Like there's no way Absolutely. That, that they were just like back on the same track. I mean, like you could trust a guy who tried to undermine you and then trust a guy who's making decisions without your input. I mean, that was over immediately. So, I mean, I guess if I had to like power rank like worst to the best GMs there, I mean, I think Jacksonville's probably the worst because he he had no idea what he was doing. And How did like, he get that, that job? It's I mean, clearly nepotism, right? I mean, that has that's the only answer. Um, that was the part that wasn't, we didn't have that exposition, but you know, he was so panicked. He was like, the Rams took my pick. I'm like, well, the Rams are picking it too. So, right. <laughs> okay. So you probably need to have a better board. So I think he was, you know, clearly just completely over his head. Um, and then I'll pro- probably put Sonny. I think Sonny is worse than the Seattle GM. I, you make, know, I don't think the, the Seattle case, GM was good. Make the case good. for that. I mean... <laughs> Sonny was just this like just doing everything on his own. He clearly didn't have his staff prepared. He hadn't done any research into um, basically any of these guys, you know, (laughs) even the guys he ended up drafting. The fact that he had to like that they had to like go through like snap by snap of that Wisconsin Ohio State game to figure out to like, oh, yeah, he got ejected that game. Oh, yeah, that's his sister. And she like, you know, that's stuff that you should have known. My only fault is that I care too much. Right. (laughs) Um, So I just think his like overall preparation and like we didn't see that much about Seattle's preparation. You know, I think the the Seattle GM's fault is that he's completely motivated by his job status and just was completely panicking and was um, changing his you know, changing his mind based on like what he saw out of his window. And like, he was the guy who was clearly influenced by like what the blogs are saying and what Twitter was saying. So he would, I mean, he was going to get fired soon anyways. So, <laughs> but I just, I think Sonny's terrible and he's terrible to just had his job. He's letting himself get distracted by way too many things, not actually preparing, listening to sports radio, like, on his way to work. All, all of it. All of it. Fire Sonny. A, a linebacker is doing more for him than his entire scouting department. You go back and look at the tape. Yeah. Uh, so here's my question at the end of all of this. If, mm. if the moves are viewed as just absurd by fanatics like Mike and myself, and they clearly don't resonate with a professional who's been in the industry like you are, who exactly is this movie for? <laughs> I mean, I guess probably for casual NFL fans. I mean, and I get like the cinematic value is there, the, the shots of the draft, yeah, that all of that stuff. The drama is there, you know, the that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I guess like casual sports fans question mark who, has to be. Yeah, I guess. 
people who don't want to overthink the intricate details of how the draft happens, probably. That's that's probably who it's for. Also, I think old people because like <laughs> this movie, the positional value, you know, on running backs and punt returners. Who cares that you got a punt <laughs> Tim Dwight as a Tim Dwight. <laughs> You you get those guys as undrafted free agents. We've never heard that in a trade. Oh, the sweetener put it over the top. We got this punt returner. What was the last time a punt returner got traded anyway? I was hoping it was going to I, ho- I was hoping that Putney was going to be like their punter. Right, like, right. Special special teams. He and, really like, knows how to valuable. fill a Gatorade bottle on the sidelines. And like and that yeah. was Allie's contribution. Like that she was like, special, oh, what do we need? God. We need special teams. I'm like, come on, Allie. Like, let's make, you know, I know you're smart. I know you love football. You keep telling us how much oh. you love football. But like, let's let's say, you know, like what you really need is like a nickel corner. Right. Uh, right. Show, show some kind of insight. Uh, uh, Lindsay, this was spectacular. We would be remiss if we couldn't uh, awesome. get your opinion, though. Uh, we've made it pretty clear that we are Wobegon Giants fans. <laughs> what Give Dave Gettleman some help. Give Mike and I some hope. If you were in that room, if you were the alley of, well, not the alley to Dave Gettleman, because that love story. Oh, my God. Just, yeah, no, nah, nobody reads that. But uh, <laughs> let's say alley without the love story. If I was if I was the Abby to Joe Judge. Right, um, exactly. What's What should the Giants be doing? What do you hope your Broncos do? Give us a little quick rundown of what's going on. Yeah. Um, so the Giants have many, many, many needs. Um, so, <laughs> I, you know, I think what they're actually – you know, what I think they should do is probably try to trade back if there's somebody who wants to get up to get a quarterback, if it's Tua or Herbert or whoever it is. There's so many needs, so I think they should trade yeah. back. That is not in Dave Gettleman's DNA. Mm-hmm. That is not what he does or wants to do. You know, he. I think what's going to happen is that they're going to get on the clock at four and they're going to say, like, who's the you know, who's got like the best bubble butt and like, <laughs> who's Quads. the best like interior lineman. That yeah. This find. is what's scary about this movie is that it might be prophetic and that the clock could start. Gettleman may not be in the room and he's just now doing his research on his scouting reports, you know? Well, he's, you know, I did a, uh, I was on a podcast with um, Bill Barnwell from ESPN last week and we like, mm. were joking about his giant binder that they would get <sighs> on the clock and, you know, judge or somebody, you know, would make, would, but, but what about this guy? And Gettleman's like page by page, trying to like search through his binder, you know, like licking his fingers in between each one, trying oh, to get God. back to the page. But, you know, I think this is, I think it's it's a good offensive line draft. I think they have several tackle options that they could take there. I think there's, you know, some defensive linemen that they could take there. Um, you know, our, our draft guy at the athletic, um, Dane Brugler is so good. That I like defer mm-hmm. almost everything to him. He has them taking Tristan Wirfs, which is a little surprising. I mean, there's not a lot of mocks that have Tristan Wirfs quite that high at four, um, mostly because there's you know, there's just a lot of really good tackles. Right, like the kid from Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, the kid from Georgia. Um, God, there was the kid from Oklahoma. Wills, yeah. Alabama. Wills, yeah, 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 Wills from Alabama. Jedrick Wills, um, Taylor Becton. Oh yeah, Makai Becton, who had like a drug test yeah. issue from the combine yeah, but that's like, true but that also doesn't really matter now in the current nfl with their new cba <laughs> yeah but dane knows that Worfs has the biggest bubble butt yeah. so he understands what <laughs> you just exactly exactly yes so um so i think it's going to be like a somewhat anticlimactic that they're going to take an offensive lineman mm-hmm. there you know i would love to see them acquire some more capital because they need so much help basically everywhere yeah. on the roster right now yeah. um other than like running back and quarterback right now. I mean, those I, those are the two positions that I don't see them addressing. So I, I just, I, I would love to see them do something, you know, trade back. 
be a little bit more conservative and acquire more capital. But yeah, it's probably going to be a lineman, an offensive lineman, which they need. They desperately need. So it wouldn't, you know, I think that would be fine. Um, Amongst just, other things. Yeah. Your lips to yeah. God's ears. We, we've talked about that. I, I just, I, I'm not a Werfs guy. I would much prefer Wills, but I, if we could trade back for anything, that'd be great. What about your Broncos there? What do they need? Yeah. So the Broncos here in Denver, they, um, they really need wide receivers. There's been a lot of talk about that. Um, you know, they, they love Cortland Sutton as their number one, uh, you know, I guess he maybe was an alternate of the Pro Bowl this year, but like borderline, like could have been a Pro Bowler on his own. Yeah, he had a great year. Uh, but mm-hmm. so re- really good, um, kind of is on a really good trajectory, just the way his career is developing now. But um, the depth behind him is very bad. So they really need like another starting caliber wide receiver. Um, so there's been a lot of, you know, buzz about like, depending on how the receiver class falls, because they're at 15. Mm-hmm. Um, could like Henry Ruggs be available there? You know, where's Jerry Judy, you know, how high is Jerry Judy going to go? Dane actually has them taking Jerry Judy at 15. At and I 15? Think if, oh, wow. Um, you know, there's been a lot of buzz about CeeDee Lamb. Um, so I think there's a lot of receiver talk there. Um, the other position, I mean, there's a lot of positions that they need, but that could have that value there at 15 is offensive tackle. Um, Garrett Bowles has not worked out right. at all, who is their first round pick yeah. in 2016. 17, I guess. Yeah, I don't, I'm getting my years mixed yeah, up. But be, yeah. regardless, <laughs> regardless, he has not worked out. He is not their franchise left tackle. He's a guy who actually could, you could kind of actually make some correlations to this movie and maybe not doing the appropriate scouting on him. You know, he, you look at him and you're like, yeah, that's a left tackle. Really big, pretty, you know, very athletic, good feet, all of that stuff. Yeah. But he led college football in holding penalties. And he continues to, in his fifth year in the NFL, continues to basically lead the NFL in holding penalties. So, you know, there's there's some pretty significant, like, red flags there. It's kind of like with quarterbacks. Like, if he's really inaccurate in college, you're just hoping that all of a sudden he's going to get to the NFL where offenses are more complicated. People they're playing are better, that all of a sudden they're going to get more accurate. Rarely happens. If you Mm -hmm. don't know what holding is in college and are consistently committing holding in college, you're probably going to be holding all the time in the NFL. So um, the the, the Broncos also really need a new left tackle. So that's another way they could go there. John Elway's evaluation on offensive linemen has been atrocious. Like his track record with drafting, drafting and signing offensive linemen in in free agency has been really bad. Um, A couple exceptions. I mean, Matt Paradis, who was their center that he drafted a few years ago, ended up being really good. But then he had some injury issues. They let him go in free agency last year. And then Dalton Reisner, who they drafted last year in the second round, um, a guard who's actually like a local kid, looks like he's going to be a really, really good player for a long time. But in general, they've had miss after miss after miss at both tackle spots. So that's another position that they that they really probably need to go. And so if they don't go in the first round, they're going to have to address it probably uh, on the second day of the draft. Is Drew Locke your guy? I mean, I guess. Like, <laughs> What an endorsement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like I like him. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like buying his jersey for any of my Broncos fan, friends and family. Um, you know, I watch, so my husband went to the University of Missouri, so I've watched a lot of Mizzou football. So oh, I, you know, okay. I saw him play mm-hmm. more in college than I probably wanted to. You know, questionable <laughs> talent. He like, his like receivers led college football and drops his senior year. I mean, so there were some issues going on there. Um, I will say that 
he was a lot better in the areas that I thought he was going to be bad at his his rookie year. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think they mishandled a lot of that. I think they probably should have played him earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole Joe Flacco thing, I never was on board with. I thought it was a terrible idea from the start. And it ultimately ended up being a bad idea. And they had to basically just shed his salary this offseason. But so the, the thing I will say about Drew Locke, after being around the quarterbacks from last year's draft class in Nashville for a couple of days, so at the Combine and then spending a couple of days in Nashville around them, was he's the one who carried himself most like the quarterback who like has that uh-huh. like franchise quarterback thing. Like he was like the kind of like the leader of that group compared to, you know, Kyler Murray, who's very reserved. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel Jones, really reserved as well. Choir um, boy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and not to say that like Drew, you know, Drew just carried himself like I've been the starting quarterback at an SEC school for four years mm. and, you know, kind of just had that, like that it factor to him. And it was immediately apparent when he got to the Broncos. And, and that's just, and part of that is that over the last four years, they've had just like a string of like average to the below average quarterbacks, like guys that might be really well liked in their meeting rooms, but don't have that like franchise quarterback kind of swagger to them. You know, Case Keenum, who had been, you know, a journeyman career backup, all his teammates love him, but didn't quite have that like catalyzing aura to him. Um, You know, Joe Flacco had, the guys respected Joe Flacco, but there wasn't, you know, he was, he, he was this veteran guy who came in late, you know, it wasn't that same thing, but the guys have really responded to Drew Locke. Um, It's going to be interesting because, you know, all of these teams that have new quarterbacks, new coordinators, new head coaches this year, I think are going to be at a huge disadvantage Right. Mm-hmm. By there not being an offseason. Right. And the Broncos changed quarterbacks. So then Pat Shermer is now their offensive coordinator. Have fun. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and like he's been a good coordinator in the past and a good quarter, you know, good at quarterback. So maybe back into like that sort of limited role where he's not no longer a head coach, like maybe it'll work. But we just don't know what their offense is going to is going to look like. But I just think it's been like kind of refreshing and I have friends who work in Denver sports radio and it's like to not have to just have constantly like a quarterback debate all off season has been, has been kind of nice. Something uh, new and exciting. (laughs) Yeah. You just, it's just a change, which has been, which has been good. So I don't know. I think maybe we were offline that I mentioned my, my brother is still like a Tim Tebow truther. And he texted me (laughs) at some point, maybe it was in December, early January. He was like, I don't get the Drew Locke thing. Like, I think Tim Tebow would have been better. And I was like, mm, I mean. <laughs> well, I, that's I an opinion. <laughs> or no, I think what he, I think he did was like, I don't really get Drew Locke. Like, I don't think he's that good. And I wrote back and I said, yeah, well, you're a Tim Tebow truther. So I'm not sure if I trust your quarterback evaluation <laughs> skills. And he was like, fair. Well, he'll <laughs> but, always have that slant to Demarius Thomas against the Steelers. But Lindsay, ooh, you They were... had that on TV last night. It was on CBS Sports. Oh, was it? Um, they nice. Re- they replayed that Steelers playoff game. Yeah. You were spectacular, and we cannot thank you enough. Thank and you. We could not have had <laughs> well, a better guest for this. And maybe next time we have you on, we can do a Pixar movie uh, and get your uh, get your movie criticism reps in there as well. <laughs> but thank you so so much for agreeing to do this with us. This was a blast. This was really fun. So yeah, tag me when it's uh, when you have it up, and I'll share it around. And uh, yeah, it was we'll fun. do absolutely. We'll do. Take care, Lindsay.
that was a load of fun, and mm -hmm. we cannot thank Lindsay enough, and she was the absolute perfect guest to have on to review this movie, and at this time, as we head into Draft Day 2020, which will kick off on Thursday of this week. Michael, what are your words of wisdom for the fine people? Yeah, it's obviously follow Lindsay Jones and read her work at The Athletic. Uh, we've loved reading all of her NFL coverage over the past year. It's fun. It's filled with... Uh, all kinds of entertainment references, which was why we knew, you know, she'd be uh, perfect for this kind of episode. It, she's got a ton of movie gifts on her social media. She's got a ton of movie gifts in her articles. And she also knows the NFL, like she demonstrated at the end there. I mean, she knows all she's of great. the past O-linemen of the Broncos <laughs> and of the Giants. <laughs> she knows her stuff. She knows her football, as she demonstrated today. So it is wise to subscribe to her work at theathletic.com. It is truly a bargain. And, Mike, I think, you know, with all the stuff we watch, it is good for the soul for you and I to read things from time to time, <laughs> actually read words and process that in our brain. And she's got some I'll great... agree to disagree uh, there, but, yeah, she is fantastic. <laughs> She's got some cool stuff coming out this week, too. She mentioned she's got a draft profile on a an African prince who plays for Auburn, who's going to get drafted in middle rounds probably, Tega Wanogo. And she's going to be, like she mentioned, a commissioner on the Athletics staff-run mock draft this week. Very much looking forward to that. And do, if you are a sports fan of any kind, uh, you check out The Athletic. You will not be sorry. It's a lot of great stuff, and it's kind of changing the face of how sports writing is done in yeah. this age of social media and online access. And definitely, definitely go seek out Lindsay Jones's work specifically. Uh, you could also reach her at her socials to find her work. She is by Lindsay H. Jones on Twitter, B-Y-L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-H Jones, J-O-N-E-S. She is Lindsay H. Jones on Instagram, all one word. And uh, when you're done checking out Lindsay's stuff, you can come by, swing by, and check out some more Mike, Mike, and Oscar stuff because, as always, we want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. Are you watching the draft this weekend? Have you seen draft day lately? Is it as absurd to you as it has been to us? Or do you find more merit in it? We can leave us all those comments, questions, concerns about those, and anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM, and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com, .com, and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. And if you've been letting us try to entertain you during the quarantine, we cannot thank you enough. We will keep the content coming. And if you, in turn, would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review on the apple podcast app that would really go a long way for us uh michael you talked about your words of wisdom already what's coming next from mmo so we have a lot of ideas right now and we're going to make some decisions on what we're doing long term at some point michael but uh the standby that we have is mike mike and oscar weekly it's our news and variety show covering trailers reviewing all our quarantine movies and, t and television watching and it's uh it's it's one thing that we look forward to every week because you guys play six degrees of kevin bacon with us etc 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 it'll be before the nfl draft we'll be recording this on tuesday so we will still be, you know, sprightly in our mood. We won't be, you know, just devastated by what the Giants do to us. So <laughs> that will be a good episode, no doubt about it. The next episode, who knows? It could be, you know, our pets' heads are falling off. We, you know, whatever we do, we're going to have to really program it in a smart way because you and I might be on the ledge. 
Yeah, it might be something uh, equally as ridiculous as covering uh, going into the ins and outs of draft day just to kind of buoy our spirits after that. But, That's right. Uh, guys, as always, when reality sucks, which it might if you're a Giants fan very soon, <laughs> uh, you can come watch these movies and talk to these cool people and hang out with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See you.